Well, praise the Lord. Good to see you all out on this uh, Lord's Day. You will be surprised, Peg, uh, just how what you shared this morning dovetails right into the message that you had no knowledge of. But uh, thank you for your words to us this morning and the beautiful music this morning. We are just so blessed, aren't we? We got a great church. All right. Well, there are a lot of people, including myself, who have felt overwhelmed at times with all the things that are going on in the world, haven't we? It's such an uncomfortable feeling, isn't it, to be overwhelmed when a problem is just so big that you don't know what to do, you don't even know where to start, right? When it seems like the only thing you can do is just throw up your hands or, or just kind of avoid the situation, give it time to, you know, rectify or whatever. And I, I think in our next section from John's Gospels, John's Gospel, the disciples, they find themselves in a similar predicament. I think you'll find this morning that what transpires there can help us when we are facing huge issues, problems in our lives. John chapter 6, go ahead and turn there in your paper Bible or electronic Bible, however you prefer this morning. John chapter 6. And beginning at verse 1, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get even a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Father, would you bless this word to our hearts today. Speak to us, Lord. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. So as often it happened... Jesus, in his ministry, was ministering to the sick. He was laying hands on them. He was healing them. 
And as was usual, a crowd began to uh, gather and to follow him. Uh, there were those who were in need of healing themselves. There were people whose family members were in need of healing. And there were just people who wanted to see what in the world was going on, right? So there they are. And Jesus, if you notice, he hardly ever did his ministry around the big cities. And I think that's for three reasons. Number one, because Jesus always seemed to be for the little guy. You know, even in his birth, uh, his humble birth, announcing to shepherds, right? Jesus always seemed to be for the common folk and not for maybe the city-dwelling elite, right? Uh, I think the other reason is you can't gather those kind of crowds within a city without creating some havoc. And I think Jesus was just plain practical in that. And number three, I think because being in the outskirts was less convenient. If you follow my train of thought here, if you have to invest yourself, if you have to go somewhere to find Jesus, you're going to get a little bit more out of it. It's not just, uh, you, you find this when we, we used to have, um, uh, you know, like missions trips for young people and stuff. For them to raise their own money to go, they were more invested in the event itself than having it just handed to them kind of thing. So it's the same kind of an idea here. When you had to invest yourself to go and see Jesus, uh, you had more of an opportunity to have an open heart to what Jesus had to say and to who he was. So I think Jesus kind of did that on purpose. So by this time, then, they are out in the boonies, right? A desolate place, according to Matthew. There were 5,000 men there, right? Which means along with women and children, you had a huge crowd. We, we always call this the feeding of the 5,000, but there was a lot more there, right? Huge, huge crowd. And they'd been following Jesus all day, and here they are in the middle of no one, and Jesus turns to Philip and says, hey, it's supper time. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do? Notice first the situation. Huge crowd. People are hungry, they're out in the middle of nowhere, and there's no food. Try for a minute to act like you don't know how the story ends. Put yourself in that situation, right? It's hopeless. There is no logical answer here, right? It's not going to happen. Even, even Philip says, you know, if you had 200 denarii worth of bread... This crowd is so huge, nobody would even get just a little bit. This, this is impossible. How many times have we been in situations where we don't know the end of the story, when it looks impossible, when it looks overwhelming, when it looks just too huge, and there is no reasonable answer? There's no logical answer for this situation. We don't know what to do, right? Now, I also want you to see that Jesus led them here. Do you notice that? There are times, yes, that we in our human frailties and some of the bad decisions that we make, we get ourselves into trouble. 
But here they had been following Jesus literally and find themselves in an impossible situation. And there are times when you and I will follow Jesus to the best of our ability and end up in a place we don't know what to do. It's too big. It's overwhelming. There is no way out of this. It's impossible. There's no reasonable plan here that's going to work, right? Jesus led them. Why would he do that? For 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning of verse 8, says, Paul says this. He says, We don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. Remember, this is the Apostle Paul, the man of faith, right? We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. They were in horrendous conditions. They didn't think they were going to make it out alive. Indeed, he says, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. In other words, it's God's will. We're not going to make it out of here. We're going to give our lives for the gospel. That's the end of the story. But, he says, I love when the Bible says but. <laughs> but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. On God who is the God of the impossible, right? Who makes a roadway in the wilderness, who makes streams of water in the desert, right? In those times, in those times, God is teaching us to rely on him and not on our own limited strength, our own limited wisdom, our own limited resources. God is saying, I need you to... See me in this. And I know people use this phrase all the time, God won't give me any more than I can handle. That is really very unscriptural when you think about it. When you look at the situations in the Bible, God always brought people to a place that was beyond themselves. Gideon, Moses, David, Paul, Right? Beyond themselves, but not beyond what God and them could do together. Right? So, yes, will God give us more than we can handle? Absolutely, He will. But not more than He can handle with us. There's the key. There's the key. And not only does God want to teach us to rely on a greater source than ourselves. But number two, back up a little in 2 Corinthians uh, 1 verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able, so that we, why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Have you ever received or, or had advice offered or encouragement offered by someone who hadn't been in your situation? That ever happened? Or have you ever tried to offer advice or, or comfort or encouragement to someone and they say, you don't know what you're talking about. 
Have you, have you ever been through this? Right? There is nobody that can minister more to a situation than someone who's been there. Can you imagine what it would be like if when the, when the Lord saves us in, in, his, in his mercy and grace, and then everything was a bed of roses all the time? And we are trying to talk to a world of people and say, Jesus can give you peace. Jesus can give you hope. Jesus can give you strength. They say, how do you know? What have you been through? Right? So we are allowed to walk through things so that God can minister to us, so that we can minister to other people. Within the body, right? I've seen that happen so many times. People put an arm around someone else because, hey, I've been there. I've been through it. Let me tell you, God's going to get you through it, right? Here's how he worked in my life. But also to an outside world. So many people that I know have, have been in hospital beds ministering to their roommate. Now, did they want to be in that hospital bed? No, <laughs> right? But as God has met them there and given them peace, they have been able to share the Lord with somebody in the next bed. It's wonderful how that happens. So why would Jesus lead us into difficulties? Right? To get us to rely on him and to empower us to minister to someone else. The other thing that we see here I think this is, this is interesting. Jesus says to Philip, basically, it's supper time. What are we going to do? What are we going to do, Philip? How He doesn't say, can we feed these people? He says, how are we going to do this? Right? How are we going to feed these people? And verse 6 says this. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. He himself knew what he would do. Now, most of you are probably familiar with an organization called Compassion International, a ministry that since 1952 has helped countless thousands of orphans around the world um, and those from, from poor families, um, providing for them physical, social, economic, and spiritual care primarily through child sponsorships. Maybe you have sponsored a child in the past or are currently sponsoring a child, and God bless you if you do. But do you think that this organization just appeared helping thousands of children? One day from nothing to all of this? Of course not, right? Let me quote from the website. It says, more than 65 years ago, Reverend Everett Swanson flew to South Korea to minister to the American troops fighting in the Korean War. During his time there, he, in, he grew increasingly troubled, note that word, by the sight of hundreds of war orphans living on the streets, abandoned by society. One morning, he saw city workers scoop up what looked like piles of rags and toss them into the back of a truck. He walked up to the truck for a closer look and was horrified to see that the piles were not rags, but were the frozen bodies of orphans who had died overnight in the streets. Can you imagine? 
Can you imagine? What could he do? What could he do? One man in the midst of this incredible need. Huge, right? You can't adopt hundreds of kids. Even if he established his residence, right? You can't adopt a hundred, hundreds of kids off the street. And besides, he was there to minister to the American troops. That's what God called him to do. Well, this is what God's called me to do, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm really sad over here, but this is... Sometimes that's easier, isn't it? And yet, he was troubled. He was troubled by what he saw. Let me quote again. Appalled, Reverend Swanson began including this experience in his revival meetings, and Christians responded by donating funds to purchase rice and fuel for the orphans. Within 10 years, 108 orphanages and homes in South Korea were receiving support. And now, 60-some-odd years later, in 2018, according to the, another organization called Charity Navigator, which rates charities on financial accountability and transparency, in 2018, there were over 1.9 million children registered in the program. Now, think about that for a minute. Here was an enormous need, right? of hundreds of kids. Huge. No way to tackle this problem with one man. And now, 1.9 million people, children, being served physically, economically, spiritually. Wow. Wow. Let's plug Everett Swanson back into our scripture passage this morning. Hundreds of orphans on the street. And Jesus said, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? How are we going to feed and clothe and minister to these kids? Because just like the feeding of the 5,000 plus, 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 Jesus already knew what he had planned. Jesus saw ahead to 2018 and 1.9 million children being ministered to. Jesus already had the plan in place for Everett Swanson, just like he did for Philip and the rest of the disciples. He just needed someone in both cases to respond, to respond to the challenge, to respond to the troubled heart, to respond to the need that they were awakened to. Not to see it as overwhelming, pass it off onto somebody else, but to respond. And who was it 
in our text, in the account of the feeding of the 5,000 plus, who was it that responded? Was it the rich man? Was it the farmer? Was it the restaurant owner? Was it the wise man? Verse 9, there is a boy. There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But, underline, underline, exclamation, exclamation, what are they for so many? What are they for so many? Do you notice in this situation, we, we know what the Lord can do, right? When he led the children of Israel out of Egypt, there they are in the wilderness, he made food appear like dew on the ground every morning. God knows how to feed a crowd. When they got tired of that, he, had, he commanded, and there were huge flocks of quail that came into the camp and fed them meat. God knows how to feed Millions of people. He can do that sovereignly. But instead, he took the little that was offered in love and he multiplied it. He took a little boy into partnership with himself and not only met that huge need But then some, right? Then some. He didn't just give them a little snack. He just gave them a little something to tide themselves over. They ate their fill, and there was 12 basketfuls of bread left over. He didn't just feed and clothe hundreds of orphans in South Korea. He had a bigger plan in mind, didn't he? You know, you and I... I, me, spend a lot of time thinking, talking, and singing about how God is going to meet our needs and get us through our difficulties. And he will, and he does, because he's faithful to his promises. But there also comes a time, I believe, in our Christian maturity where we know that he's going to take care of us. And so we begin to think outwardly. Isn't that what he said to us? Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. When we begin to think, how can I, with God's help, since he's got my back, how can I make a difference in this world, in my church, in my community, in my job place, etc., 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 right? Listen to this verse from Ephesians chapter 2. After Paul reminds us that, that we are saved by grace through faith, he then says this. It's like, okay, now that we're saved... Right? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. For, oh, we're created for something? 
created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen to that last part again. That God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Kind of sounds like Jesus talking to Philip, doesn't it? Because Jesus already knew beforehand what he was going to do before he ever challenged Philip. Do you know that God has a to-do list for us? Do you realize that? That's what the scripture says. We were created in Christ Jesus to do God's to-do list. Read it again. Created for good works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You and I have a to-do list from God. And God's list is going to be more than you and I can do on our own a lot of the time, right? There may be simple things. There may be helpful things. Give somebody a call and pray with them, right? Make a meal, take it over to sister so-and-so, you know, all those kinds of things. We, we, we can do that. But don't discount the fact that there are bigger things that God has for us to make a huge difference in the lives of other people. Things that look overwhelming. You know what happens, and, I, and I've seen this in, so, in years and years of ministry. Someone says, what about this? So I'm going to walk up and say, what about this? I see this group of people that aren't being ministered to. I see this need out in the community. I see this thing over here, and I'm troubled, like Everett Swanson. This thing is, is troubling me. It's burdening me, right? And, and it's almost as if Jesus walks up to us, opens our eyes to an issue, to a problem, to a need, and then says to us like Philip, so what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? And we have the opportunity at that point to say, well, I'm not called to that. Or that's, that's, the, that's the deacon's job. That's the, um, uh, the town's job to take care of. That's the, you know, this, uh, the other thing. Um, somebody, uh, I won't mention any names, but somebody has kind of taken it upon themselves. They, they kind of do a, a loop in the morning and pick up trash along the side of the road. Is it their job to do? No. But they see a need, right? And they respond to it. And it's as if, again, Jesus would say, I want to show you something. I want to show you a need. And then that challenging question, so what are we going to do about it? Not what are you going to do. What are we going to do about it? And just like the little boy with the bag lunch, just like Everett Swanson, who already had um, a, a platform for speaking to people, God had a plan. God has a plan for you and I, and it could be bigger than we could ever make. Can you imagine Everett Swanson as he looked, you know, at at, at those street orphans? Do you think in his wildest imagination he could think 
million children. Let's think big. Let's think big as a church. Let's think big as individuals. And when God opens our eyes to a need, begin to pray, begin to seek Him. Begin to say things like, I don't know, what are we going to do about it, right? God is not looking for ability as much as He's looking for availability. Here I am, Lord. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? So do not be anxious, Jesus said, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Because your heavenly Father knows what you need, right? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added as well. His kingdom, his righteousness. What is that? What is that? That's saying, what will they eat? What will they drink? What will they wear? How can they get a break? How can they be encouraged? How can they be strengthened? Right? That's the kingdom. The kingdom is love. Right? The kingdom is reaching out to others in need. What is his righteousness? It's responding to those needs. Right? And as we do that... Thinking outwardly, God says, oh, by the way, I'll take care of your stuff. Amen? One little boy thought more about the need than his own stomach. Well, this isn't enough for everybody. I'll just go behind this tree because I'm hungry, right? Nobody will have to see. He said, here you go, Jesus. I don't know what this can do, but here you go. Jesus knows what it can do. Where, Lord, with your help, can I make a difference? And that is the point where we go from being overwhelmed to being an overcomer. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, just as we look at our world, we look at the needs of those around us. Open our eyes. Open our eyes. Specifically, Lord, what's on our to-do list, Lord? Speak to us this week, this month, this year. At this COVID year, this year that everybody wants to forget, can be a year of overcoming, can be a year of glory, can be a year of opportunity. Help us, Lord. Speak to our hearts. Challenge us, Lord. And we give you thanks for it. And we praise you. 
in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.